Shades of Magic Read Along. We are in it today. For those who need a little bit of a reminder, we ended a gathering of shadows with pretty much the shit hitting the fan and a lot of people on the verge of death. Really just chaos across the board and then we just smashed to black. Felt really bad for the people who read that book when it first came out and there wasn't this one to read next. But the good news is I have this one and hopefully you do too and you could just go from one to the next. So we are going to dive into A Conjuring of Light. I wrote a little disclaimer on a post-it note for myself. Disclaimer, things are really bad for the cast in the first part. The whole video that we're really going to talk about today, but really the first part, because we're going to do parts one, two, and three, uh, the first part is pretty brutal. So we're just going to take a deep breath. We're going to make peace with the fact that things are going to get worse before they get better. And with that in mind, we are going to start A Conjuring of Light. Now, just a quick reminder that we ended with Kel in White London being trapped by Holland slash Oseron with the collar around his neck that's severing his magic. Holland walking away from him, trapped inside Oseron's body. Rye collapsed to the ground in Red London because severing Kel's magic means severing the thing that's keeping Rye alive. And Lila furiously running to make a door that she hopes will take her into White London, something she has never done before because she does not know if she is in fact Antari. We kick things off with that moment, with Lila running to make the door to Kel. She has no idea if it's going to work. It should be a simple yes or no, and she quickly discovers as the world falls apart around her that it is not that simple. Immediately, we cut from there to Holland, who is trapped inside Oseron, who is now using his body. Uh, I put a little later in this book that, like, you know, there's that two people, one bed trope. I think that like two souls, one body is my version of that kink. Like, I just really like it when there's two people inside one body. Right now, Holland is trapped inside his own body with Oseron at the wheel. And he is fighting to get free of this compulsion. And Kel is begging him to fight and he can't. Oseron essentially swats him away like a little bug. And he's like, be quiet. And he tells Oshka, who is his second in command, not to let anybody into the room where Kel is. And with that, he strolls away. Um, I also just wrote here, because I'm sharing my notes now, that Holland is that long con character. He starts as a villain, becomes an antagonist, is going to be a protagonist in this book, which means that the more you learn about his past, the more you hopefully care about what happens to him and what's brought him to this point. We cut to Kel's perspective now and he is trapped. He can't get the collar off and he can't feel Rai's pulse anymore. It is failing. He tears himself free of the chains, but the collar is still stuck there and he is almost about to get free when he collapses, bleeding to the floor. It's a really bad day to be Kel. It's a really bad day to be Rai too, because as we cut back to Red London, we find out that Rai is dying. His mind is fracturing. We have a flashback of him as a child trying to figure out magic, trying to make magic work for him and realizing that it's not working. And in this scene, we see a child, Kel, as well, who arrives and is kind of his new brother figure. Kel is trying to help Rai learn magic in this scene. And this scene devolves into a nightmare where Rai begins to burn and can't stop it happening. And this is really an analog to what's happening in his own body and his own life and the fact that it is, it is going out. Um, Alucard is there and he feels completely helpless. He can see the threads of Rai's magic, of the magic that is holding Rai in this world, and he can see those threads breaking one by one. He holds Rai's hand and he tries to keep him alive by force of will alone, but it doesn't work. Rai seizes up, seems to be lifeless, and Alucard blacks out from there. He doesn't remember anything that happens after that. 
From there, we get to Lila Bard arriving in White London, kind of crashing through the doors in the world. It is not as simple and clean cut as she thought it would be, having never done this before. But the thing that she notices after she realizes that she has all her parts and pieces and she is there whole and not torn apart between the worlds is that White London looks notably different. That she was there four months before and it was a dying world. And now it is very clearly a world that is not dying, that is not dead. And yet it feels wrong. She's trying to remember the blood spells that she has heard Kel use all of these times. And she's never needed to learn them because she never thought of herself as an Antari. She basically has no idea how to get to Kel without an object of his, but she has memories. She has all of these moments that Kel has been important to her. And so she uses those to coalesce the magic to take her to Kel. It transports her to the palace, but instead of taking her to Kel, it takes her to the hall outside of where Kel is being trapped. And she faces off Oshka, who is Holland slash Oseron's second in command of Maid and Tari. They fight. She is really good. And this is the moment where Oshka essentially tries to drive a knife through Lila's face and picks the wrong eye and shatters her glass eye. Um, and then Lila responds by slitting Oshka's throat and uh, going to save Kel. We have in chapter seven, Lila reaching Kel. This is so nice when I used to do really short chapters and so much happened in so little amount of space. Uh, Lila reaches Kel and manages to get the collar off of him, but he's having a panic attack because he can't feel Rye. And she basically is like, get it together. You can't help him from here. We're going to have to go and help him where he is. Uh, basically focus on the things in your control. Lila always out there with the mantras. Um, Lila sees Kel is like kind of bleeding to death on the floor. He's very severely injured. And so she's like, okay, it's fine. I'm going to use my new Antari magic to heal you. And he's like, are we sure you can even do that? Uh, she tries and it works a bit too well. Kind of flings them both backward across the room, across opposite walls. But he is healed. And she's like, what the hell happened here? Why are you here? He tells her about Holland. And she's like, we're going to have to get back to that subject because we got a lot going on. She is not happy to hear that Holland is alive. She's got a lot of questions. They do not have time for questions. She opens a door back into Red London, forgetting that they are not on the ground. They are up in a castle. And what she hasn't learned yet, or she probably should have intuited, is that like when you move between worlds, you move between one place in one world and the exact same place in the other world. So of course they move into Red London before Kel can warn her and they begin to fall. Multiple stories because <laughs> there's no ground underneath them. They land on a roof, a uh, big ouch moment. And Kel is like, next time, let's make sure our feet are on the ground. And he makes a door to take them back to the palace. Meanwhile, inside the palace, the queen Amira is at Rai's side and she won't leave his body and everyone is trying to tell her he's dead, he's dead, you have to let go. And she's like, I can't let go, like Kel will save him. Like she's just, she's in a delirious state of grief. And then incredibly Rai gasps, he resuscitates. Alucard, meanwhile, sees Rai return to life. He he um, sees the harm undo itself. It says, before his eyes, the spell returned, a flame coaxed suddenly back from embers, no, from ash. The thread surged up like water over a broken levee before wrapping fierce protective arms around Rai's body. And he breathed a second time and a third. And between each inhale and exhale, the prince's corpse returned to life. And this for Rai, for Alucard in this moment is all that matters. The world is literally falling apart, but Rai is at least alive. Kel and Lila reach the palace and they go to Rai's room and the king and queen 
rush toward Kel and Kel thinks that they're going to be furious with him, that somehow he's to blame again. And all they feel is intense relief that he is back. And by extension, Rai is back, that he has, he has survived and therefore has saved Rai. Kel then proceeds to tell them everything that's happened. Meanwhile, Oseron, holding on to Helen's body, using it as his own now, reaches Red London. This is very bad for us. And the first thing that he notices is how much potential there is in Red London. So much magic. And it's being misused. It's being used for trifles. It could be used to shape the world. And it will in his hands. He crosses a, a, a human. He crosses a, a man in the street. And he decides to see how much magic this person is capable of holding of his power and he starts pouring his power into this man and the man crumbles to ash and he's like i'm gonna need some stronger bodies to hold my power to affect the change i want to affect <laughs> be the change you want to see right he's like i'm gonna need to find some people Oseron sees the palace this glittering red and gold structure over the river and he's like that there's power emanating from this place now that is because currently the winner's ball from the the tournament is happening on the roof of that palace. All the powerful magicians who were in the tournament are in that building, as well as Kel and Lila and everyone else. Oseron's like, that's where the party is. That's where I want to be. And he heads toward it. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. And that brings us to part two, City and Shadow. I feel like I didn't take a breath the entire time I was recounting that. Let's all just take a breath. Everyone is in Red London. All the goodies, all the baddies in Red London. So, City in Shadow, part two, chapter one, has Kissimir, who was not the victor. She's the second place. She was the victor of the last Essentosh tournament. Kissimir is on the palace roof with all the other competitors that are still there, and she's getting drunk. She's pissed off that Alucard won. She's like, I'm just going to get drunk and have a good time, drink this free royal champagne. And she sees a stranger arrive on the roof. She sees Oseron arrive on the roof. And she's like, this is weird because I don't recognize this dude. I know everyone else at this party. One moment he's not there, the next moment he is, and he has a crown as if he's the king. But she knows he's not the king because she serves her king. And he has two black eyes. Not in a fist fight black eyes, like, you know, the all black eyes. And she's like, uh-oh, <laughs> problem. But she's a loyal Arnesian. And so she's like, I'm going to protect everyone here. I am the most powerful magician present because Alucard's downstairs. And she basically asks who he is. And he says, I'm your new king. And we're like, uh-oh, dun, dun, dun. And she's like, yeah, I'm not, I'm going to stand in your way. And he basically pours his magic into her. And it lasts a little bit longer. And she starts to scream. And we understand that Kissimir was no match for Oseram. Meanwhile, Kel is telling the royal family what happened. And he stops because he notices something outside the window. He notices Oseron. He notices like the darkness spilling off the roof. And we're like, oh shit. He tells Alucard to stay where he is and guard Rye. And Alucard's like, there are people up there that need protecting. I should go. And he's like, if you go up there, you will die. And Alucard's like, how are you any different? And Kel's like, if I don't go up there, everyone will die. And we're like, boom, little mic moment for what a powerful magician Kel is. But anyway, he tells Alucard to stay and guard Rye. Lila's already out the door. Lila is halfway up to that roof already. They reach it together and they find Oseron in Holland's body and no one on that, on that roof is capable of rising to the challenge of facing him. And Kel is like, don't worry, I'll do this. And we suddenly realize Oseron is strong. Like Holland was a strong magician. This is now a god 
inside Holland's body. And so Kel is like, I'm going to lose to this man. And like, even with Lila, they are no match for it. And so he's calling on Holland inside of Osaron's body. And he's trying to convince Holland, get out, like fight back for fuck's sake. And, um, Holland is struggling. Holland is not able to do this really. And Maxim Maresh enters, the king enters, and his appearance buys Kel an instant to attack Oseron, but he doesn't, he doesn't go for the kill. This is the problem with Kel, is he still knows that Holland's in there. He doesn't go for the kill. He goes to wound Oseron to stop Oseron, and it doesn't work. And so, um, meanwhile, Holland is trying to fight from the inside out. And what Oseron does is Oseron abandons Holland's body. And Oseron comes towards Kel, like, I'm going to take your body instead. And, uh, and he can't, though. At the very last minute, he pulls back. But what we're going to discover is that Oseron can't actually enter an Antares body without permission. If he wants to take over an Antari vessel, they have to, he has to be invited in. In this moment, though, he stops right in front of Kel. And he decides he takes his own shape. And we learned that it has been so long since Oseron has been powerful enough to hold his own form without taking on a vessel. He starts manifesting in front of Kel and he's like, it's fine. I'll just be me now. And Lila tries to stop him, fails. Kel tries to stop him, fails. And Oseron jumps off the roof, plunges down into the river, into the glowing red aisle of Red London. And it instantly begins to turn black. And we're like, dun, dun, dun. That shit's not good. Okay. Meanwhile, Alucard is with Rai. And Alucard looks out and sees the river turning back. He's like, wow, it's like weirdly dark in here. There's normally a red glow. And he sees the river below beginning to turn black. But he is holding his ground because he has promised to stay with Rai. And Rai has not woken up yet. But Alucard's eyes were on Rai's chest as it rose and fell. A hundred silver threads knitting slowly, slowly back, back together. Meanwhile, Oseron point of view. Oseron's like, I'm free, bitches. I'm free. Like, I am going to redefine this world. I'm going to reshape it. I'm going to make it perfect. We're pretty sure this is what happened in Black London before the fall of that entire world. So we see where this is going. We also know because in A Gathering of Shadows, what Holland started to cue into is that Oseron is never satisfied. Like, the more you give this magic, the more it wants. And, and sure enough, like he starts thinking, make, make, make. And in Gathering Shadows, he thought more, more, more. He always wants to be spreading. He's entropy with a God complex. So meanwhile, Alucard's whole crew from his ship have been celebrating his victory in the tavern, right? This was what was happening at the end of Gathering of Shadows. And Lenos, who is a member of the crew, he's our second in command, and he has kind of a a gut feeling about things. He had a gut feeling about Lila Bard. He, he's a very quiet, very astute man. Starts to feel uneasy. He can't pinpoint it right away, but even inside the tavern, he's like, something's wrong. He and Strauss, the first mate, go outside and they see chaos erupting. They see the river turning black. They see people being possessed. We're like, Lenos was right. Something is definitely amiss. Um, Lila and Kel ride up. Kel is trying to order people back. They're trying to disperse people. And what Kel starts to do is essentially use his own blood to protect people. Because this is something he's discovered in facing off with Osran is it's Antari blood that Osran can't cross without permission. So what does Kel do? Kel's literally like, like creating a tiny cloud of blood and like letting it rain down on people. This is not probably a really great long-term strategy. 
because there's only so much blood in a body. And so, but right now he's just trying to like, they're just trying to buy themselves some time. So Cal and Lila split up to warn the people. And Lila, because she's Lila, tries to go to Oseron. Lila's out there being like, Oseron, come out kitty kitty. Like he's like, she's literally just trying to be like, let's like come for me, bitch. Like, what are you gonna do? Like, I got a body. I got an Antari body. Like, don't you want it? And Ozern almost rises to the challenge, is about to rise to the challenge when shit breaks out like over with Kel and Lila has to go help Kel. Kel is surrounded by possessed people. It is very clear they are fighting a losing battle. And in fact, the guards ride up and warn Kel and Lila that they have to get back to the palace because the city has officially fallen. Like we are retreating, we are retreating. Back at the palace, Maxim has ordered Kel and Lila's return. Kel's like, how could you pull me back? I'm like trying to help people. Maxim's like, oh, you're bleeding on everybody. Are you helping like a hundred people? There are thousands, tens of thousands in the city. Like we need strategy. And this is because Maxim was a soldier before he was a king. And so uh, the Steel Prince, we're gonna get to that, but he is basically like, we need battle strategy. We need to do this. If you wanna help Kel, what you can do is go down into the prison because they trapped Holland as soon as Oseron abandoned his body on the roof. Go and talk to Holland and find out what this thing is and how we're supposed to fight it. Like do, that would be a better use of your time. And so he goes down to see Holland who is like bound and blindfolded. And there is a scene between them that is essentially a reckoning where Kel's like, how could you do this? And Holland's like, I'm just trying to, like, I was trying to save my world. Like you've been trying to save your world. Like, you know, basically that whole, like, not like the darklings make me your villain, but it is a, like, you're going to see me as the villain no matter what here. And uh, I was doing what I had to do, but Holland also doesn't give him any help. Holland's like, you don't have, uh, like Kel's like, how can I beat him? And Holland's like, you can't. Like, I couldn't, you definitely can't. Which brings us to part three, fall or fight. Oh shit, so much stuff has happened already. Okay, we start with Alucard Emery, who has been protecting Rye. He has fallen asleep because it's been a long fucking day and night, okay? He wakes up thinking that he's under attack. It's just Kel entering, of course. Remember, Alucard and Kel hate each other. This will come up many, many, many times. Um, Alucard sees the darkness beyond the window and tries to open the window. Why are you trying to do that, Alucard? I don't know, but he's like, I better see that. And Kel's like, please don't be opening the windows. There is clearly a, a poisonous entity outside. And he learns that like the priests are warding the palace right now to try and prevent it from getting in. Um, and essentially... Alucard is like, I got to go out there. I've got to see my, like, my crew is out there. My family's out there. And Kel's like, yeah, um, if you want to help them, like, go help the priests, go help the king. Like, I will stay here with Rye. So Alucard goes downstairs and he's horrified by the changes he can see in his city, even through the windows, um, the fog that's rolling in. He finds Lila, who is using her blood to, like, literally mark everybody so that Oseron can't possess them. And she basically gives him a little blessing <laughs> and she uh, knows that he's going to leave. Like there's very clear orders for nobody leave the palace. She knows he's going to leave the palace. So she's like, at least let me mark you so that you'll be safe from this one particular form of danger. From there, we get a very short point of view from the queen who is watching Kel and Rye sleep. And we learn a little bit more about why she is the way she is and what she's so afraid of and why she's taken the tactic that she has in raising these two 
young men. And she's been very cold and she's been very intentionally cold to Kel and it's from a place of fear. And so she talks about that. So Rye wakes up and his mother, Amira, the queen, confesses that she didn't realize the scope of what had happened to him. That she thought he was like badly injured and Kel, Kel healed him. But what happened was Rye was dead. And in that intervening time before he recovered, before those threads stitched themselves back together, he didn't look just dead. He looked like he had been dead for four months since the events before his death. And like, that's traumatizing for anyone, especially for a mother. And Amir is like, I had no idea that he was the thing holding you to this world. And then basically, she's like, it wasn't supposed to be this way. He was supposed to protect you. He was supposed to give his life for you. And Rai snaps back at his mother and is basically like, but I love him. Like, this is the thing about brotherly love. It goes both ways. I will give my life for him as well. Like, this is the thing. You can't expect it to be one directional love. Anyway, Rai speaks up for Kel. He then looks out the window and he's like, hey, that's weird. What happened to the river's light? And we're like, oh shit, Rai, you have so much to catch up on. Meanwhile, Lila is at the palace. She's cleaning up from marking all the blood on everyone. She also, remember, has fought Oshka. She got stabbed in the leg while fighting Oshka. Her eye is shattered. She was in the tournament right before that. Like, Lila needed some self-care or some care. Tyrion, the priest, has patched her up a little bit. Hastra is guarding her and she's like, are you guarding me to make sure that I don't go anywhere to make sure I don't mess anything up? He's like, I'm just supposed to look out for you. He's brought her a cup of tea. She's not drinking it. Uh, that's going to be important. So Lila's like, let's go find Kel. I got to go find something to do. I can't just sit around. And he's like, could you please rest? And she's like, I got too much to do. There's a city in peril. He's like, at least drink your tea. She's like, fine. She drinks her tea sets the cup down and follows Hastra out. It's not gonna go well. Meanwhile, Kel is looking for Lila in the palace. He collides with Cora instead. Now, Cora was a princess from Vesk. This, she's going to be very important in this book. Cora and her brother Cole were both the emissaries from Vesk that were there for the tournament. And she he collides with Cora and Cora is like both flirting and frightened. She's like, oh, I'm so scared. I'll just stay with you, da da da, da. We're like, Cora, you are up to no good. We should all see this. Anyway. Lila arrives just as she's like trying to woo Kel. And Lila is like thoroughly not amused by what she sees here. Not, this is not going to go. Kel basically pushes Cora away and was like, that is not what that looked like. I have no interest in that child because Cora's like 16, 17. Anyway, Lila then has a moment, one of my favorite kinds of things to write, which is that Lila's like kind of flirting with Kel, but she's like swaying a little on her feet. Well, we very quickly realize Lila has been drugged. The tea was drugged. Lila is barely on her feet. She's like kind of being very flirtatious. Like she would reach out and boop his nose at this point. It would be that kind of like, she is not behaving like Lila. Big red flag for us. And then she collapses in Kel's arms. And Kel looks to Hastra, who's still with Lila, and is like, what's wrong? And he's like, oh, I drugged the tea. It was Tyrion told me to. And he's like, what do you plan to do when Lila Bard wakes up? Because like, I guarantee you, someone's going to pay for what you just did. Anyway. They light, put Lila on a sofa so she can rest. And Hastert tells Kel a story called The Blessed Thread. So many threads in this book. It's almost like I was knew I was going to write about threads some more, which was about brotherly love. And meanwhile, Alucard, oh, it's about to get dark again, you guys. Okay. Alucard sneaks out of the palace because he's like, I got to find my crew. I've got to find my family. He goes through the fog. He has Lila's mark of protection. So he's safe from the shadows and from the... the from Oseron's magic. And as he's trying to get to his home, he's repeating the names of everyone he needs to protect and everyone that he loves and everyone that he needs to save. He sees the night market on fire. He sees people attacking. He breaks free of them and he, he races his horse 
basically to his house, to his estate. He gets there, he finds no Anissa, his little sister, but he finds Barris, his older brother. And Barris, we know this shit's going to go wrong from the moment we see him. Barris has not fought the magic. Barris has let it in. It is possessing him. It is making him a bad guy. And he was already not a good guy. He didn't fight the fog at all. Barris essentially antagonizes um, Alucard and a fight starts between the two of them. He essentially almost brings down the house around Barris to force his brother off. Just then he hears Anissa, his little sister, scream upstairs. He gets upstairs and he finds that she's fighting against the magic and it because of that, because you can't fight against it, it's essentially burning her alive from the inside out. And he scoops her up and he rides away from the estate as it crumbles behind him as he tries to go for help. And I believe, yes, that brings us to the end of this week's video. It happened so fast. I can't believe we're already here. Things are going to get worse before they get better, if they get better. Um, I hope you're on this ride for me. Feel free to read ahead a little bit. Uh, it's going to get dark. But I was about to say I think the worst of it's behind us, but it, it's not. It's not at all.